Welcome to the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders to talk about their industry passions and challenges that they are facing. I'm Chris Hopkins from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I, I help connect businesses with top software and data engineering talent. And today I am your host. I'm joined today by an amazing panel to discuss some topics that should be of interest to all data analytics professionals. This theme for today's episode is effective use of data and analytics. So before we delve deeper into some topics, let's go around the room with some introductions. Uh, Lindsay, would you like to kick us off? Yes. Uh, so I'm Lindsay Murphy. I'm the head of data at Dakota. Um, I've been working in the data and analytics space for about 12 years now. Um, so I spent a lot of my career working as an analyst and over the years have moved more into the tech space and have been leading data teams at a few different startups based here in Toronto. Um, and I'm super passionate about uh, data strategy. So I'm excited that we're going to be talking about that today, giving a bit of a preview. Um, but yeah, I feel like data strategy is near and dear to my heart. Not a lot of data teams are focused on it. And I think it really can be important to driving impact. Awesome. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, Eric, over to yourself. Yeah. Hi, I'm Eric Callahan, uh, Principal of Data Solutions at Pickaxe Foundry. Um, I've been uh, I'm in the data analytics space for about 15 years or so. Um, the first uh, majority of that part really focusing on analytics and big corporations and, and similar to Lindsay kind of moved into the tech startup world um, the last few years or so. Um, and I'm passionate about really kind of understanding the whole life cycle of data all the way through analytics um, and kind of really making sure that I've got a good understanding of every single piece, you know, not necessarily being, you know, an in-depth expert at every single possible thing you can be, but just really making sure that I don't have any blind spots so that I can really understand sort of the story of a data point and how that's helping and how we can make sure to really extract that value of, of data to the fullest to deliver. Brilliant. Thank you, Eric. And then finally, over to you, Scott. Hi, I'm Scott Parent. I'm Senior Analytics Manager at Eleanor Health and uh, by day. And by night, I am on Emory University's uh, Quantitative Theory and Methods Advisory Board, um, where I help uh, lead a program called DataThink that uh, helps connect students uh, at Emory University with local nonprofits uh, to do some good with data. Um, so I've been in data for eight or nine years at this point. Um, I started in consulting and then I've moved into uh, like the startup and producty world. Um, and what I'm really passionate about in the data space is trying to understand like really abstract problems that people have with, uh, you know, data analytics numbers, something that they want to know about the world and then making that abstract like concept idea or wish quite frankly just into a discrete technical product perfect so data by day and data by night <laughs> data and sleep <laughs> like too. it Okay, good, good. That's good. Um, brilliant. Thank you very much for those introduction, guys. Um, so let's move on to discuss some um, specific questions related to the effective use of data and analytics. Let's again kick things off with Lindsay, who um, put forward uh, put forward: Can data teams deliver value or and ROI without a data strategy. So would you like to uh, start by sharing your thoughts on this topic and why you put it forward, Lindsay, and we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So yeah, this is one that um, has been top of mind for me for the, probably about a year now, maybe a little bit longer, but 
Um, having been a leader of a data team at two different startups now, um, the current, actually, sorry, I have my three now, uh, the current company that I'm at, Sakota, uh, previously I was at a, a, a startup here in, based in Toronto called Maple, which is a virtual healthcare company. And before that, I led the data team at another startup called Benchside. Um, and in all three situations, uh, I found that, you know, uh, moving forward with your data initiatives can be pretty difficult if you don't have a strategy built out. Um, and so at my last company at Maple, um, we really did put down some foundational layers here to try to build out a data strategy. And what I started to see over time was, you know, that got more buy-in from uh, the leadership team. It helped them understand what the data team was actually doing. And then it, it really drove towards having common goals of how the company was actually going to use data to deliver value. And I think what I started to realize was, uh, you know, having run data teams without a data strategy, it can be really frustrating because you end up in a place where, you're doing a whole lot of work. People are often asking a lot of you and your team, um, but then it becomes very difficult to measure value. And I think the 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 big driver behind that is uh, not having a common goal or a framework of what exactly is data used for in the company. So I think um, data teams who are driving forward initiatives without data strategy are kind of doing themselves a disservice. Um, I think Eric, you and I had a, a different webinar where we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we uh, we kind of said, you know, marketing com marketing teams don't go out and start marketing without a marketing strategy. So why are data teams doing the same thing? So I really think that this is something that more data teams should be focused on and getting that buy-in from your leadership team to work with you on it, um, build, you know, well-defined goals and objectives, and then figure out how you take that data strategy to execution. And I think that will drive a lot more effectiveness and value out of data teams than maybe what we're feeling today. Cool. Thanks for that. Yeah, that that marketing analogy kind of hits home a little bit. Um, so, um, Eric Scott, have you kind of worked on in environments on both sides? You know, one where you've not really had a defined data strategy in place, and then secondly, where you do, and want to share your kind of thoughts on um, the impact and differences across those. Eric, do you want to? Give your thoughts first. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because as Lindsay mentioned, we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then when we were sort of thinking about this podcast and, and I was kind of rethinking this over and thinking of it in a different way, I, I remember a place I was at a long time ago uh, when I was much more junior and I had a really great leader who uh, was really thinking about the concept of the difference between analytics as a cost center versus a revenue driver. Um, and so the way that Lindsay kind of put the question out initially was, you know, can can you deliver value with data and analytics without a data strategy? And I think it depends on what you're defining value as, right? So I think that thinking back to that place a, a while ago with that leader, you know, um, at that time I was in marketing analytics and the way that we operated was kind of, you know, marketing would have questions, they'd open tickets and we'd view the tickets and close them. And that was that, right? Um, and and I guess you could argue that that was providing them value. Um, it's, it's not as much value as, you know, we could have <laughs> been delivering otherwise, um, but in a way it was value. However, from an analytics, you know, team standpoint, we weren't necessarily like a valuable revenue driving asset or, or part of the company, right? We were kind of uh, an external cost center, right, is the way that the way that you put it. So I think, um, and obviously you didn't need to have a data strategy to just answer a bunch of tickets, right? Um, if if something was hard to to get at, you would just take longer, and you would still do it, but you wouldn't necessarily be thinking, you know, what if if our data was structured in this way or the other way, then you know maybe this would be more efficient down the road. 
Um, I think where the data, if, if you have a data strategy and you're now empowered and thinking about actually um, having uh, skin in the game for the company's success, uh, then you start thinking about like, all right, how how does a data strategy help empower us to actually drive the business forward? Um, and, and that's a much more valuable uh, way of contributing to the business, right? So I guess back to the original question of can you drive value? Like, yeah, I guess, but not really well. Uh, <laughs> and it's not necessarily value as much as kind of just, you know, you can, you can do stuff, uh, but that's not the same as driving value necessarily. That, that was something that I really kind of occurred to me uh, when I was rethinking this. Yeah, it's interesting. I think kind of internally as well, if the pers- uh, perspective is that the department is a cost center um, versus it's a revenue generating function, then, you know, it opens up a lot more possibilities with a latter mindset than, than, than the former, you know, so um, yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that, Eric. Um, back to you, Lindsay. Yeah, I just, I, I realized that I didn't even answer my own question at the beginning, but I, but I really agree with you, Eric, is that I think it's, it's like, yes, you can arguably deliver value, but is it going to be the most value that your team could deliver? And is that really going to still return ROI? I think that's where the big question comes from is that a lot of like the cost of running a data team can be extremely expensive. So you really need to make sure that there is a lot of return on that investment that you're making. And without a data strategy or, uh, and without really clearly defined goals of how you're going to deliver value, I think that's how data teams end up in this support function place where they're just answering tickets, like you said. And, and that's really where, you know, I've lived a lot of my life in that place as a data person. And it's, it's not very engaging for a data team. Um, it's very easy to see turnover in your data team. And it really just isn't really the best way. Like definitely there's some value built into that, but I don't think that's where you really see you know, the companies of the world, like the Ubers and the Airbnbs and all these products that are really, really data-driven. You know, their data teams aren't just sitting there churning out tickets. Like they're figuring out ways to put data into the product to make sure that data is feeding back into some kind of a monetization strategy. Um, and so I think those are really the things that, you know, a company should be sitting down and thinking, what is data as an asset to this company and how can it start to drive more business impact? The other thing that kind of came to mind is that um, you mentioned um, when you were more junior in your career. And I think for me too, it's like, I just kind of accepted that as the world. It was sort of like, okay, well, here's what the data team is doing. I'm not very happy about it. But I think data folks should feel more empowered to start asking for that. So speaking up to your senior leadership and saying like, look, what what is the objective of what we're doing as the data team? And that can probably feel really scary in a time where, you know, you're seeing layoffs and things like that. Um, but I think being complacent about what you're doing in a data role is just going to do you a disservice in your own career. Um, and so being able to speak up and feel empowered to say, like, you know, how can we deliver more value? How can we maybe develop a data strategy to focus us on what we're doing? And then that also will free you up to get, you know, you'll get to say no and push back on some of those lower value resources that um, people are asking for that often aren't as fun to do. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Scott, well, what are your thoughts on on this particular topic in uh, addition to, to what the other guys have shared? Yeah, um, I think the thing with data strategy, too, is when you say you need a data strategy, it's kind of a nebulous statement because there's a couple of things that go into that beyond just uh, I think a lot of people think about it like, OK, what what data can you get me at what point so I can just have it? And I mean, I think that's very much like what the external facing outputs of a strategy look like. But, you know, my firm belief is that data is a technical function. Um, you know, you have to think about data um, like it's any other technology. Uh, it's not a thing that you can just sort of pivot on a dime um, and make something happen. You know, it's like a battleship. You turn on degrees. Um, and so you've got a tech strategy, you've got a product strategy, and you've got a service strategy. 
Um, and they all kind of feed into each other. Your service strategy and your product strategy, if you don't have a tech strategy that actually is thinking about, you know, what capabilities you are building in your architecture, um, what order you're building them in, and how do they build on each other? If you haven't thought about that, um, you're going to have a lot of trouble supporting, you know, having a data product strategy where your data products um, give you reliably good um, information. Um, and your analysts are going to spend a bunch of time trying to do things that, quite frankly, should be done already for them. Um, and even at worst, or what would be worse would be, uh, you know, people don't trust the data that either your data products or your analysts are giving them. And then they go in themselves and they become their own analysts um, when really they should be, you know, it's it's incumbent on us as, uh, you know, data and analytics professionals to give them the evidence that they need to make the decisions that they need to make and not have to go and dig in data. Cool. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate that. And um, any other thoughts on this topic uh, before we move on? Um, I think uh, a very brief summary would be, um, yes, you do need a data strategy um, <laughs> and try and ensure that uh, it's, it's one that, that others are going to buy into that, that, that are focusing on it. Um, Lindsay, just uh, final thoughts from yourself before we move on. Yeah, I was just going to say some people uh, may be asking what is a data strategy? We didn't really dig into that very much. We didn't kind of go over it necessarily what it is. Um, I will do a shameless plug that I'm going to be working on a data strategy ebook. It'll be free. Um, so that's something that'll be available hopefully in, in the next quarter or so. Um, so it'll kind of break down thoughts in my experience of building one and kind of rubber hitting the road. Um, so, yeah, that could be uh, hopefully helpful for folks who maybe are wondering, like, what exactly is a data strategy? <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. I'll keep an eye out for that myself. So um, brilliant. Let's move on to the next topic, which was something that Eric put forward. Um, communicating results or recommendations back to stakeholders and all clients. Um, Eric, uh, the floor is yours on this one. Yeah, you know, so so the, the genesis of this was, you know, uh, Chris, you were asking about what are some topics that, that really resonate as far as effective use of data and analytics? And the word effective really got me there um, because I have seen, you know, many a team or, or a person who is actually fantastic at doing the analytics and managing the data. Um, and, you know, they might even understand why they're doing it. And they might even understand the business reasons for it. Um, but that last piece, right, that last mile of, of convincing the stakeholders or explaining to the stakeholders uh, what to do with this information or how to use it or why it's important or why it matters to them. Um, if that last piece is not handled well, uh, the value is just not there, right? Um, if, if people aren't going to take the recommendation or, or understand why or be convinced why um, they should listen to you, <laughs> are you really that effective? Uh, right. That's sort of that's sort of what it comes down to. And that was what I had thought about. You know, I th there are a ton of people who are fantastic at that. And, and this works both ways, too. Right. There's a lot of people who are fantastic um, business people and, and business analytics people. Right. They might even um, they they might sit in the business. Right. And understand here's the business problems. And, and they might actually get deep enough into the analytics. They might be able to go into, you know, your dashboards and, and dig up some some quick, easy solutions, and they might even know some SQL, um, but but they aren't exactly technical enough to really get exactly what they want themselves, right? Which is why data teams exist, right? Not <laughs> That's not a knock on them, like they shouldn't do that. Um, so it's bridging that gap and, and really thinking of, of that uh, as a holistic business 
sort of strategy, I guess, right? How do you make sure that you've got that communication from the business needs all the way back through however many people or layers it takes to get all the way down to the people doing the nitty gritty technical details and then back up through the business and communicate that effectively without it being, you know, like the telephone game where by the time you get back to the, the business, the actual meaning of that is is entirely lost. Um, so that's one of the things that I focused on quite a bit in my career um, early on, actually, um, which is one of the things that I found to just be, you know, super important and and a really good aspect for a leader to have, right? To be able to, to have that ability to sort of communicate the why back to the business. And is that... The advice that you would give, you know, focusing on the on, on the why. Um, I appreciate each situation will be different. You know, different people involved, etc. So you might have to tailor your communication accordingly. But in terms of advice, or so if you were talking to somebody that maybe they're 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 in this situation for the the, the first time or first few times in their career, what advice would you part on to them in terms of, you know, trying to make sure that that communication is tight between um, the, the data team and the business themselves? Yeah, I mean, you've got to be really intentional about it. Uh, there's there's a lot of different ways to do that. And, and even before that, actually, um, knowing the business, uh, understanding the business from the data side, right? Um, if we don't understand the business inside and out, it's going to be very hard to really empathize with the people in the business who who are the ones asking for this help and, and understanding, right? So if you don't really understand where they're coming from because you don't understand the business sort of inside and out yourself, um, that's going to make it tricky. So that's that's one piece of advice for sure is make sure that, that you embed yourself, really understand the business as much as possible. Uh, only then uh, are you able to really have those conversations sort of as a peer, right? Uh, sort of getting back to what we talked about before is, you know, you don't want to be the ticket taker. Uh, well, you're going to be the ticket taker if you can't speak the same language as the business and understand what the business is asking and really, you know, feel feel the pain that the business feels, right? Um, so really making sure that you're you're sitting there and learning that stuff um, is is important for sure. Uh, one of the things too, I, I remember also early in my career, um, I, my manager, my old manager, and I would have some discussions about when we needed to hire people for the team. Uh, what were sort of the skills to look for? And we would go back and forth between, you know, technical skills versus, you know, quote unquote, soft skills, whatever that means, right? Um, and and one of the points of view, right? I'm not sure which is right or wrong, honestly, still to this day, but one of the points of view was you can always learn technical skills, but you can't necessarily learn soft skills, um, which, you know, has has an element of truth to it. You know, not everyone can, can you know, go learn how to be an ML engineer. So that's not necessarily true, 100%. But I, I get the point of where it was coming from. And so I guess if you are super technical, uh, my advice is make sure that you are trying to learn a little bit of like, why am I doing this again? Like, what's the, what's the point of this, right? Uh, building a, a fantastic MLOps pipeline um, is not useful in and to itself, right? Um, that you're, they're not paying you to, to build a pipeline so that a pipeline exists. They're, build, <laughs> they're paying you to solve a problem, right? Or deliver some sort of ML output that feeds an engine that does blank, right? So really, um, yeah, I guess my advice is that if you are that super technical person, make sure you're understanding the why, why you're doing this. And only when you understand the why will you be able to really communicate that why back to the business and then sort of share your value. Perfect. Brilliant. Uh, good points there, Eric. Um, Lindsay, um, what are your uh, thoughts on the, this topic? Yeah, yeah, Eric, I can't agree with you enough on on a lot of what you said there. It's, it's um, I think this is one of the most overlooked skills. And I actually <laughs> wrote a blog post recently with um, Christopher Chin, who's uh, a big proponent of uh, 
um, communication for data people. You can find him on LinkedIn and his content is really, really wonderful. I think he would disagree with you, Eric, in the sense that he thinks that you can learn communication, you can learn soft skills. Um, I do think like they are harder to learn though. And I, and I think for a lot of data people, it's not something that they focus on. A lot of people, especially more junior in their career, are only really for the most part focused on their technical skills. And I think there's this expectation that you're gonna learn soft skills organically on the job. Um, I, I couldn't disagree more that I think there is really some purposeful intention that should be put behind le learning these skills um, and and really going out and figuring out, you know, how do I learn this the same way that you might learn a technical skill and trying to measure yourself over time. So thinking about um, how can you practice this? How can you get feedback? Um, breaking it down into sections like calling communication is one huge bucket, right? So are we talking about written? Are we talking about spoken? I've seen some people who are really good with their, with their written or their spoken feedback, and then their written feedback is really, um, you know, overly verbose and a little bit difficult to understand. So, um, yeah, I think, and I think the other thing that came to mind for me um, was we we specifically in this question we're talking about communicating results and recommendations, and I think that even starts before you get to that point. It's almost like um, start with the the expectation setting and the requirement gathering to make sure that you know you've listened to the person's problem, the stakeholder understands, you know, um, or you understand the stakeholders uh, request, and that you're then able to go back and, you know, um, maybe not, maybe not even turning that into a request, it's more of a partnership. It's like, how do we get to the best solution for the problem that we're trying to solve together? Um, and I think that really starts well before you get to the recommendation section. So yeah, thank you. Um, Scott, over to yourself. Yeah, uh, I think the under the the through line in both of the things that Eric and Lindsay and you've been saying um, to me, I've always looked at it as empathy. Um, you know, empathy is the thing that will help you understand like how your stakeholder looks at the world, what your stakeholder wants, what decision they're trying to make, and what level of uh, you know information that they need to feel comfortable making that decision um everybody has a model in their head of how the world works um and you need to sit down and really understand how does my stakeholder look at the world um for the insight that you give them to be meaningful um you know there isn't like uh uh and there isn't you know i've written on linkedin about this before but there isn't like you know like uh, okay i'm gonna go practice my empathy um, it's just sort of a thing that uh, uh, you get by trying to, you know, uh, understand people better and do good. Um, so I've always thought that empathy is the greatest skill that you can learn as a uh, data professional. Um, and it manifests in all different ways when you're doing data. Um, when you're building any kind of model, whether it be just like putting filters on a dashboard or uh, it's you know, making assumptions for, uh, you know, a very complicated predictive model, like all the assumptions, large and small, um, are need to be reflective of how your stakeholder looks at the world or uh, how your stakeholder uh, wants to or what your stakeholder thinks is reasonable or real. Um, and, you know, some of those things you could ask your stakeholder about. But other things you can't um, because they're just going to be like really deep and technical and you're going to have to understand how does my stakeholder look at things. And if I was my stakeholder, but also knew these things about this specific problem I'm trying to solve, what would I choose? What is most consistent with what they believe? Brilliant. Thanks, Scott. Some uh, some great points there. So I think, um, yeah, if you're able to, to couple that um, empathy with the knowledge that Eric was talking about when you're dealing with the, the 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 stakeholders, you're probably in a pretty strong position to deal with it in a in a in a good manner. Um, okay, so let's um, 
move on to the third topic um, for today. Um, again, this was put forward by Lindsay, and this actually falls across all of our domains. Um, the topic is, are we in a data industry bubble? So when it comes to jobs, the growth of the industry, um, as I said, are we in a in a, in a bubble? So um, again, let's uh, let's get your thoughts on this topic, guys. Uh, kicking off as ever with the person that put it forward, which is Lindsay. Um, awesome. So yeah, I mean, I, I think this one for me is uh, one that's kind of top of mind right now. Just been a lot of the things that I've been going to in terms of the data industry lately, we're talking a lot about hype cycles and that we're in all these hype cycles of like AI and, and gen AI and all these different data jobs. So this one kind of came to me as like, you know, is there is there more um, people out there trying to get data jobs than there is demand for these roles? Um, I don't know the I don't know the answer, but I think like if I were to make some arguments for yes and no, um, I would say like the economy is in a very different place than it was a year ago. If you look at, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who are looking for jobs in data and it's it's definitely a lot harder than it was a year ago. Um, you know, people who are starting their career at the entry level, it's really, really difficult at the entry level right now. Um, a lot of people, there, there just aren't a lot of entry level jobs to begin with in data. And then there's a lot of people who are graduating programs. Um, there's a lot more master's programs than there used to be that are out there for data management and data science. Um, so I think we're seeing kind of this like churning out of, of data folks um, who are then, you know, getting into a market where it's really hard to get in and, and to actually then take the theory that you've learned in school and put that into practice is a really different thing. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've taken like data science courses and bootcamp courses and like the data that you work on is so clean and simple and it's like, cool, I wrote this model or I did this thing and everything went perfectly. And then when you try that in the real world, it's like, holy, everything blew up in my face and I don't understand why nothing's working. So it's a very different experience. And I think as a hiring manager, um, it is difficult to to bring people onto your team who are totally junior because you're making an investment and in teaching them those things. So I think we're in a really different world than we were um, a year ago. And I think we're just going to continue to see some of that difficulty. I also think with the arrival of Gen AI and LLMs, like that's definitely a hype cycle. But um, I do think that there's ways for data teams to be more efficient with their time and doing some of the things that maybe were more tedious and manual, getting a little bit of help from maybe ChatGPT or other products that now have um, Gen AI capabilities built in. So I think we're seeing even some more of that entry level type of stuff can actually now be covered sometimes by maybe um, some automation. So that's gonna be my argument for maybe yes. Um, I think on the flip side is is maybe on the argument of no is that I think we're still seeing more and more data consumers. And I think data consumers actually are the people who need to be learning more data skills. And so perhaps, you know, maybe if the if the desire is to be like a data engineer, maybe part of the way of getting in there is starting in a role that, you know, isn't directly data, but has data as part of your role. And then you slowly move into increasing those skills over time. So I think what we continue to see is this huge gap between data consumers and their data literacy and their data set skills versus data people. And I think that that's really where we probably should be focusing more on closing that gap and making more room for people. You know, somebody who's like a, a marketing person, it's like they, they need to use data for their role. And so they should have some base level of data knowledge and employing that from more of a, you know, filling some of the, the requirements of people graduating from a data program. It's like maybe you can apply data in a different kind of role. Perfect. That, that sets the scene. Really well, thanks for that, Lindsay. Uh, Scott, moving on to, to yourself, do you want to pick up uh, this this particular conversation? Yeah, um, I mean, I think so broadly when we're talking about a bubble, I don't think data is a bubble because like, you know, in economic terms, a bubble means it's going to pop. 
Um, and I mean, I think that we've been seeing since the 19 like 90s data, you know, the practice of data has grown steadily with uh, the ability of computing. Um, you know, we exploded with cloud computing and, you know, things are going to, you know, continue to grow as we find new technologies to basically bring data to the skin of the like closer and closer to the skin of the organization more quickly. Um, so I think the question really is, is like, uh, how do you start a data career where you don't know, like, what's going to be the right thing? um that uh, uh will get you there i mean to lindsay's point you know at the entry level right now I, I see this a lot as well with a lot of the students that i mentor at emory um that yeah getting your first job is hard um i think you know whenever uh i get asked for advice the thing i say is like searching for a job sucks until it doesn't um so and it's all about like finding things that can really differentiate you and help people believe that you're worth the investment um you know some of the things that um i've been working on with my students um is like i said we built out this program that helps give students like real access to like professional data um and so having a project with a real organization that they can talk about like that is a feather in your cap and that is like you can tell stories about that in an interview and i've helped lots of students like figure out how to talk about the experience that they had doing a volunteer project for a nonprofit and how that's applicable to um uh like things that they see in you know the workforce um and the other thing is um we're looking at helping with other related business skills beyond just data um so uh with uh our current cohort of uh data think at emory um we're actually training students in project management um so that uh they both can be more effective in delivering but that also they will have that project management skill for the resume when they graduate um and that will be a real differentiator as well so it's it's all about understanding like how you can when you're starting out at least it's about understanding how you can uh stand out how you can look like you know how to apply data to other practices um and how to look teachable um because you're going to have to grow with the industry perfect good to good to hear some advice that that, that you guys are given and passing on to 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 the younger generation because yeah that differentiation applies at all levels you know even uh, when you're hiring at c-suite level you know what differentiates you positively versus the other applicants there's just going to be less less applicants probably um cool uh eric uh, what are your thoughts yeah it's interesting and i guess to to not to bury the lead i i sort of straddle the fence a little with Lindsay as far as like there's a yes and a no argument to this like are we in a bubble thing i think on the entry level stuff you know uh, it's pretty similar to to what you guys have said you know i've also done a bunch of mentoring um and you're right there's more and more people coming out there's more programs for people in college uh, and also people who are like mid-career who say like you know what uh whatever i'm doing now you know it's either being made obsolete or you know i want to increase my salary or whatever so i'm going to go take a data science boot camp and whatever and try to get a job so there's a lot more of that um so the the supply of these like young fresh people looking for entry-level stuff um is much higher um at the same time though right we know what's been happening with like vc and everything and and salaries are lower and everyone's trying to find a way at startups to cut costs so you're also seeing a lot of um people trying to figure out how to get more skills for less right so you might see some, a lot of companies trying to post you know uh two entry-level jobs um 
to try to duct tape them together to do like a VP job or something, right? Because um, they think it's cheaper. Um, and so, so in that respect, you know, I, I actually, in a lot of what I've seen in the market over the past year or so, I feel like for a while, I was actually seeing a lot more junior positions posted and a lot less. And I guess, Chris, you could probably speak to this more than any of us, right? As a recruiter, as far as what you've seen. Um, but I feel like I, I was seeing a lot more and uh, people, a lot more demand for these cheaper roles, I guess, to say, <laughs> to put it bluntly, um, for a while. Uh, I feel like that's maybe turning a little bit and and I don't know how much that may or may not be related to either just, you know, we're later on in the cycle. So those have been filled um, or if it has anything to do with the fact that all there's those new emerging technology now that everyone's talking about with LLMs and AI and they realize they need more experienced people to figure out what to do about this um, or what it is. So, so yeah, I mean, I guess there's, there's the supply demand thing. Uh, there's also, I think Scott, you mentioned this too, like, the the skills are just constantly morphing also like the demand so when i was you know you know 10 15 years ago when i was starting out and i was doing analytics what i thought my career path would be if i was successful did not look a thing like what i'm doing right now right like at all um you know i thought i that that success for me in the analytics field meant that i had some big office and i was like you know yelling decks at at c-suite people and saying like here's what the numbers say right and instead you know i'm working on you know DBT builds and S3 pipelines, um, and also yelling numbers from decks at C3 people. Uh, so, so it's it's interesting how it's kind of always morphing. And you know, even like like Lindy putting together the MDS Fest recently, you know, you just see all these new things popping up so fast, um, and sort of like how the world is changing, and you kind of got to keep up. And I feel like that that maybe is where the senior leadership is differentiating itself a little bit, like the people who are really able to keep up with what's going on and understand how it all fits together and put together maybe something like a data strategy, right? To, to circle back on that, uh, based on the knowledge of, of sort of how all the tools and, and pieces fit together. Um, that that could be a way that people are going to differentiate itself too. So I don't know, Lindsay, if, if it's a bubble or if it's just like reshuffling the deck chairs, like you know, not that it's a sinking ship or anything, but just people kind of moving around and then learning new things or what. So it's definitely uh, the, the thing that I think we can all agree on is that, like, we don't actually know <laughs> what's going on. It's a very confusing time for sure. Uh, thanks, Eric. Scott? When you make me think about, you know, to your point about you had no idea 15 years ago that you'd be where you are today. Um, it makes me think a lot about how, in a lot of ways, the more things change, the more they stay the same, because while like the things you're doing are different, kind of like the underlying learning or the underlying problems you're trying to solve, like conceptually are very similar. Um, there's an anecdote I can tell, but uh, earlier in my career, I was doing some hiring for an analytics engineer. Um, and somebody uh, was expressing, somebody who was trying to hire was expressing to me that they were worried about having their title be analytics engineer because they said, you know, quote unquote, uh, if DBT Labs goes under, like, are analytics engineers even a thing anymore? Um, and what I said to him was basically, uh, look, man, if you look at like the job description of an analytics engineer, I've been an analytics engineer for longer than the term has been around um, because analytics engineering is just a combination of, you know, people skills, business skills, data skills. Uh, so, you know, uh, let's say analytics engineer isn't a thing anymore, but then, you know, something else is kind of like the main manifestation of data. 
Uh, you're going to have a lot of things you've done in the past that will show the through line that you've still been solving those kinds of problems, even if the technology you use is different. Good point. Um, I like that. Um, okay, so um, maybe we can move on to, to the final topic uh, today, which was uh, your Scott. Um, you put forward the topic of glue work in data and analytics. So maybe do you want to start by just uh, providing a definition around that just so we can uh, uh, get everybody who might be listening on board um, and then we'll move into the actual meat of the discussion from there. Yeah, sure. Glue work is all of the work that keeps things together. So basically everything between the discrete requirements. So oh, we need this. Oh, we need this. A lot of it's invisible. Um, you know, it could be anything from, you know, fixing a bug, writing documentation, uh, making code cleaner, reviewing a commit. Um, it could be anything and everything, depending on how much or how little like business process you really have associated with analytics. Um, I find this topic in analytics to be really interesting because um, my experience with analytics has been that analytics is mostly glue work. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, we need to di connect disparate parts of the business um, in order to, like, say, if we're trying to figure out how much revenue one part of the business brings in, but the revenue system and then, like, let's say the marketing system don't talk, uh, you know, we got to figure out how to mash that together because the business certainly has not figured that out, you know, how to do that day to day. Um so how much of that can be resolved by analytics process? How much of that can be resolved by the business really having a um, uh, uh, cogent technology strategy? Um, and how much of it is just the name of the game? Um, you know, are all things I wonder. Um, I have opinions, but I'm also happy to just uh, uh, let you guys react to it first before I share, you know, what what I've come to in the past couple of years. Okay, so who wants to get stuck into the topic of glue work first out of uh, Lindsay and Eric? Lindsay, uh, over to you. Um, yeah, this one for me is, uh, it's interesting because this is something you hear a lot about, uh, even not just data, right? Like it's something that goes on at, at every, at, at really in, in all kinds of different teams. And I feel like um, people who are at like coordinator levels often end up doing a lot of this work that goes a little bit, uh, not, I don't want to say unnoticed, but it's almost like you're, you're doing so much to connect things and make things happen. And oftentimes it's like, you're not going to be singing these praises from the rooftops because they're not, it, these individual pieces of work aren't tremendously value in them in, of, in and of themselves. It's when they're all looked at together. Um, and I think they're really hard to show the value of. So it's like, if it, you don't really know what the value is until somebody leaves the company, you're like, oh my God, that person was doing all of these things. Um, so I think that's always really interesting when you see, you know, one person who leaves a company and then they end up hiring five people to replace that person or like three or four people to replace that person. And that person was doing a ton of glue work. And so it ends up, I think it's a really good skill to develop, but it is something that I think can get you in a little bit of trouble if you're not careful of like how much time that takes up from from your maybe more impactful and visible work that is going to get you you know potentially a promotion or it's going to show um, more value to leadership one lesson that i had when i was at my last company when I, I was i'll take it back to the data strategy when we were building a data strategy was we actually found it was a bit serendipitously but we found a way to expose this glue work to leadership in a way that really opened their eyes to all the things that the data team was doing that they didn't realize um, and in and of themselves, again, they're not super valuable as small pieces, but when you look at the whole piece of it, you can kind of say, okay, 
the data team is helping to drive operational excellence for the company because we're connecting all these dots for people. Um, a framework that we use to help us with this is called jobs to be done. So we basically looked at what are all the jobs that our team is currently doing and we listed them out. We got really, really granular. And then we went through that with the leadership team so that they were able to say, you know, well, maybe you shouldn't be doing this anymore. Maybe we need to fix something in the product. Like Scott, you mentioned filling in missing data or something that's broken. We were doing things like that. And I think our CTO was like, well, why don't we just build that into the product? And then the data team doesn't have to do it. And so I think exposing that glue work and finding a way to do that on a regular basis and actually going back and saying like, is this something that our team should be doing or should we promote this to, to fix this process so that that glue work can actually either be automated or given away to another team, I think is um, is ways to get some of your time back to focus on some of that higher value stuff. Thanks, Lindsay. Um, Eric, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and it was interesting. I, I was thinking about this a little. And so uh, Scott and I used to work together, actually. Um, and I think we were a little spoiled because we had a fantastic uh, business operations team uh, where we work. And, and that business ops team basically, and, and you know, credit to the organization for, for staffing a whole business ops team, right? Um, and basically saying, like, we realized that that we need someone to go out in the business and kind of do all this stuff and keep us organized, keep us on the same page, like at an organizational level. And so, you know, we would kind of different teams would, uh, you know, uh, share that that central resource. But um, running the analytics function, you know, that team was invaluable to us. I think uh, really kept us organized and kept us on the same page and helped helped to take some of that glue work um, off of our plates um, and and also get it um visibility right with senior leadership so i think that you know if you're an organization that doesn't have that glue work already sort of recognized then i guess like to lindsay's point like yeah you've got to start by by first being like hey did you guys know that all this stuff exists and is being done and needs to be done and and sort of surfacing in that so that's um that's for sure for sure i agree with that it's funny too i was thinking about this a little the parallels that this really has with data um infrastructure I, I was sort of reminded when I was thinking about this Gluer concept of actually the talk I did at MDS Fest um, about uh, data infrastructure and, and architecture and how so much of what we see and what is output by analytics is really supported by the invisible infrastructure and architecture. Um, I think the analogy I used for that talk was a tree, right? Um, and if a branch is not healthy, you need to water the roots, right? And and the branch won't even become healthy in the first place if you don't have the roots and you haven't like planted the roots and then, you know, you don't just have a branch, right? That's not how it works. And then when the branch is unhealthy, you don't just water the branch, right? That's not how it works. So um, as I was thinking through this glue work concept, I said, you know, that's kind of the same thing really, isn't it? Like if you don't have, um, I think one of the things, Scott, that you mentioned was even like, you know, hiring and maintaining a team and keeping everyone happy, right? And making sure that everyone is um, is good, right? That's that's like the necessary, you know, blocking and tackling that you really need to do that probably will go unnoticed, um, but it, it will sure go noticed if you're not doing it, right? Because you have all these downstream effects. So um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting interesting parallel for sure. Okay, thanks, Eric. Um, so you, you held back initially, Scott, do you want to uh, jump in now and, and share your thoughts? You're on mute. <laughs> Drat, it was me. We were doing so well. <laughs> uh, so I was I was uh, trying to plug Eric's talk. Um, uh, if you have not gone and watched it or listened to it yet at MDS Fest, go watch it because it's really great. Um, but uh, yeah, Eric hits the nail on the head. Um, and I think 
Um, the big aha that I've had about tech and analytics in the past couple of years um, that I think really succinctly articulates that is that to me, analytics is a sub-discipline of enterprise architecture, um, which if you're not familiar with enterprise architecture, it's basically the, um, uh, it's sometimes can, uh, uh, thought of as a technology discipline, but it's really a wider business di discipline. Um, how do you put a business together that actually works well? Um, what are the different components that go into it? And technology is one of those main components. Um, and analytics really is um, downstream of every decision made with enterprise in the enterprise architecture for lack thereof. Um, you know, on a business, if you have a business with no enterprise architecture whatsoever, um, at one point, uh, very early in my career, I was working on a project that um, it was like three different technology systems that were completely siloed that weren't talking to each other, but they turned on all at the same time. And then they were like, okay, Scott, make analytics happen next week. Um, and as I quickly discovered while well, trying to like make everything work, like nobody had been talking to each other, there was no natural way to make everything work. And it was a very, very difficult process of essentially making business decisions about how this means this and what this means for this. Um, and, you know, I, it worked, but at the end of the day, like your analytics team should not be responsible for making those decisions. And when you as an analyst have to go and make those business decisions, you're taking a lot of risk on yourself to basically say, okay, this is right. Um, when really the business needs to understand how to give input on that. And then the analyst needs to be the recipient of how the business has decided that's worked. Um, so going back to the topic of glue work, um, when that enterprise architecture is not in place or when the business hasn't really thought about how the different components of the business really fit together, the analyst has to fill in that gap. And I, you know, throughout my career, I've seen that as the biggest source of glue work that I've had to fill um, to the point that I've had to go and read books about enterprise architecture so that I understand what I'm actually doing. Um so uh, that's why I've always thought about like, okay, if you really want to like set a data strategy, you need to have it be part of a larger tech strategy. Thanks, uh, Scott. And uh, Lindsay, um, you wanted to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. I like that, Scott. I'm, I'm feeling a lot of catharsis as you're saying that. I've <laughs> lived through that world and it's like you end up filling a lot of gaps that you really shouldn't be filling. Um, yeah. And one of the things that kind of comes to mind is I think some data teams are, are obviously doing this, but it's like there's a lot of maintenance that comes with that glue work too. It's like once you've committed to doing something, then you have to kind of keep it up. It's like as soon as you kind of stop doing that, it's like then the holes start to come back. So I think if there's ways to think about defining that glue work, um, like finding groups or types of things that kind of go together and then giving it a name as a functional unit of something that your data team is doing so that then you can talk about it and have other people understand what it is instead of it being like, you know, little things here and there. So like maybe it's like, you know, um, a data quality program or like maintenance of certain things like that, uh, uh, bug maintenance, something like that. It's like you, you put that into a bucket so that people know that, um, you know, we have to invest in this. And if we take time away from it, then, you know, we're going to have data quality issues or we're going to have problems with, uh, with our, our infrastructure. I think that just kind of gives it a name, defines it, helps people who aren't as close to it understand exactly what it is that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you. So any other thoughts around um, glue work within the data world um, before we wrap things up today? No? Okay. All right. Well, um, before we, we finish, I just wanted to 
as ever, go around the room and get some learns or, or key takeaways from you guys from the conversation that we've had today. Um, Scott, let's uh, start with yourself. Do you want to uh, let us know what you'll be taking away from the, the chat today? Oh, man, putting me on the spot first. Uh, actually, Lindsay, I really liked the thing that you were talking about, about how you had articulated the invisible work and the glue work um, at the previous company you were at. Um I'm always interested in frameworks that people have for uh, articulating that essentially, because, you know, as I've said, like so often that is a challenge that I have is trying to be like, okay, actually this takes time. These are things we need to do. Um, so I'm going to go read about that. Perfect. Thank you. Um, Lindsay, how about yourself? Yeah, I think collectively we we kind of circled around the, the job market. And so I think for me, like, I, I don't know if I've come up with a different opinion, but I think that I, I do agree that we kind of all circled around. There is definitely something strange going on right now. Um, so I think the biggest takeaway is uh, for me was around, you know, figuring out a way to differentiate yourself in this market is really important. And we talked a lot about soft skills and communication. And I think that's probably one of the big areas that you know, uh, data people aren't focused as much on. So being able to differentiate differentiate yourself in that area is, is definitely, uh, I think, a good takeaway from my perspective. Yeah, well, definitely putting yourself out there and doing things like this, Lindsay, is a is a great way to go about it, if you, if you ask myself. So uh, um, brilliant. And then finally, Eric, how about yourself? Yeah, you know, it was interesting to me how what we thought were kind of like three or four disparate topics here um, connected a little bit, like accidentally, right? Uh, we started talking about data strategy um, and glue work, right? When you think about it, you can't really have a data strategy without considering the glue work, right? Or any type of strategy. If the data strategy is is just like, all right, how am I going to think about how we run things? You need to think about like, okay, well, what is the glue work? Let's say what the glue work is. Um, let's get that out there and um, and make sure that that's accounted for, right? So that so that we can think about like what are our resources and what's left over and what can we actually do with data. Um, and to me, that also circles back to communication, right? Because the point of all of this stuff, right, is to, to make an impact. Um, and so the less time you're doing, um, the less time that you are doing glue work and, and things that uh, maybe you think of as less um, revealing value, um, the more time you can sit back and think about, like, how do we really tell this story? And what is it that really needs to be communicated, right? So um, I think it all it all sort of tied together pretty nicely for me right and that's a that's a lovely way to to wrap up the discussion as well eric so perfect uh perfect uh way to, to as i said wrap things up so thank you very much let's leave it there for for today um this has been the evolution exchange usa podcast i would like to take this opportunity to thank again Lindsay. thank you scott thank you eric thank you very much for your insights and thoughts today um, I'm Chris Hopkins and you can find me on LinkedIn or my email, which is chris.hopkins at evolutionjobs.us. We hope you can join us next time on the Evolution Exchange podcast. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you very much for listening.